invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and I thought it would be apt this morning, uh, considering I now just have a couple Sunday morning sermons left here to consider these words. This, these words come from Paul's final words, as far as he was concerned, to the Ephesians. In particular, he's speaking to the pastors in Ephesus of the churches, the Ephesian elders. He was meeting them in Miletus as he was traveling from Asia Minor over into, uh, ultimately, to get back to Judea and to go to Jerusalem. And so these are Paul's final words to the Ephesian elders. He will say in verse 25, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That's certainly not true of me this morning, and it very likely will not be true of us, I trust, uh, from here on out. And yet this is an important passage, and we'll be looking at one verse in particular as as Paul gives one of his most famous speeches. What does a minister say to the people under his care as he says goodbye. I'll begin reading in verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you 
that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will abide forever. Let us pray. Father, I pray that in these brief words from this beautiful speech, we would ourselves learn of the character of ministry and of how a people continue on. And I ask, Father, that in this way, the Lord Jesus would be glorified among this people and that you would bless the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us all attention to your word, that I would speak and the ideas and the word clearly to these people that I would proclaim the gospel and the and the word of God clearly and faithfully rightly handling the text and applying it I pray Lord that you would take the this verse set 32nd verse of this wonderful chapter to instruct your people and we pray this in Jesus name amen at several points in this speech, Paul directs his words to these pastors as pastors. He's speaking to the elders of the congregation, and he tells them how they can be faithful pastors in the churches in Ephesus and in that region. And so we hear Paul's final words to them as pastors and how they should function in their ministry, after he leaves them. But in verse 32, I would submit, we hear how Paul addresses them more generally as believers. Verse 32, this is my text for this morning, just this verse, not trying to draw all the parallels here between Paul and myself. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to take one verse from this sermon And bring it to bear upon you. Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. How does a gospel minister leave believers, leave people that have been under his care? You know, this is a necessary question. Because it happens all the time. Human efforts in ministry are finite. Circumstances change. People change. People move. People die. Times change. And this is a reality. It's a reality of the world that God has created. It's a world filled with change. As much as we can sometimes hope for things to remain as they ever were, this is not always the case, and we know this. And so given these changes, which sometimes separate a minister from his people, how does a minister leave believers? I believe that verse 32 teaches us 
this. And this is such a wonderful verse. I want to bring it to bear to you. And I want you to see three lessons from Paul leaving the Ephesian elders in this passage. Just three lessons in this text as Paul leaves the Ephesian elders and addresses them in verse 32, not as ministers, but as believers. First lesson, Paul entrusts the believers to God. He entrusts the believers in Ephesus to God. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I commend you to God. The word commend, that verb, is better translated entrust. Paul is not recommending to them that they now trust God. He himself, as he says this, is entrusting, he is entrusting them to God. It's like a prayer. One lexicon defines the main verb in the original here. In verse 32, translated commend that I'm submitting is entrust. One lexicon defines the verb, quote, to entrust someone to the care or protection of someone. To entrust someone to the care or protection of someone. That's what Paul is doing. He is entrusting these people, these believers, to God. Paul was God's instrument in bringing many of them originally to Christ. Paul was God's instrument in discipling them in the faith. Truly, he had already been absent for some time. And now his personal ministry, as far as he knows, must come to a full end. He says, I will never see your face again. He will be absent from them from here on out. So he says to them, I entrust you to God. You who are parents know what this is like. We, we learn to entrust our children to God. We do this every day, don't we? Does this ever stop, whether they're under our eye or not? We we entrust our children to God every day. But But the truth of our entrusting our kids to God really hits home when we are apart from our kids, maybe they go to a relative's house or to camp or or away for a week or something like that, or they go to college and leave home. And then the truth really hits us. We have to entrust them to God. Now we've been doing this all the, all the way along. Likewise for Paul, entrusting the Ephesians to God was not really anything new for him. This is always the way a faithful minister thinks. Paul had always entrusted them to God. Why was Paul so confident that he could entrust these dear believers to God? First, God was the one who saved them. Not Paul. Paul didn't save them. God saved them. This is the first reason why he could entrust them to God. And so knowing that God had saved them, Paul could 
confidently entrust them to the great care and continued care of God. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day, at the day of Jesus Christ. God had saved them. God was the one who saved them, so Paul could entrust them to God. Second, he could entrust them to God because God had promised to keep them. That's seen in the verse I just read from Philippians 1.6. And it's throughout the New Testament. Not only has, had God saved these men and women, these believers, God had promised to keep them. This is why he entrusts them to God, even as he leaves them for a final time. God had saved them, and he had promised to keep them. Romans 8.30 says, And those whom he, God, predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The same people God predestines, calls, and justifies are the same people that God glorifies. It's the same all the, way around, all the way along. There's no one lost anywhere on that chain. That chain continues from predestination to calling, effectual calling, to justification, to glorification. And not a soul gets lost. This is the promise of God. This is why Paul could entrust them to God. The same people that God predestines, calls, and justifies are the same people God glorifies. Jesus himself says, in John 10, 28, I give them, my people, eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Paul could entrust these believers to God because God makes these promises to his people and keeps them and gives them eternal life. And these promises are unbreakable. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So why could Paul entrust these believers to God? First, because God, had sa- God was the one who saved them, not Paul. Second, because God keeps his promises and he had promised to keep them. And then the third reason Paul could entrust them to God was the nature of God. The very nature of God makes him a very suitable and safe fortress to which ministers can entrust God's people. The very nature of God. This is why he entrusts them to God. Because of who God is. Scripture calls God the Almighty God. The all-powerful God. Roman Revelation 1.8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is why Paul entrusts them to God. Because God is an almighty God. Because of the nature of God. God is all-powerful. There is nothing impossible with Him. Ministers are weak. They're They're impotent. We do nothing 
Except we're an instrument in God's hands. And God uses us by His grace in the lives of His people. We are unable, ministers are unable to do anything ourselves. But God is almighty and He's the one who gives the increase. He's the almighty God. Thus Paul could entrust these dear believers to God because of who God is. His very nature as the almighty, sovereign God. Whether you're a parent, or a discipler, or a minister, there is no one better to, to whom you can entrust a soul than to God. God knows better how to care for that soul than you do. He's not only mightier than ministers are, he's more loving than ministers. He is wiser than we are and knows just what is best to bring his people to maturity in Jesus Christ. Again, let me say, entrusting believers to God was not anything new for Paul. This is how he operated in his ministry. Entrusting believers to God is how ministry ought to be done at all times, whether a minister is present or absent. It only follows that a minister like Paul would entrust believers to God upon leaving. And yet, as Paul was leaving them for what appeared to be the final time, again, the reality of entrusting them to God was brought more forcefully to his mind. Consider Acts 14.23, just a few chapters earlier. Whereas Paul and Barnabas are leaving the new churches that they've established during their first missionary journey, we read in verse 23 of Acts 14, And when they had appointed elders for them and every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. They had believed. Just so in Miletus, with the Ephesian believers, Paul would no longer be there. So he would not be involved as God's instrument anymore. And God would have to keep them. Some of you may be nervous or afraid that your church will be without a pastor soon. And while it is Christ's will that churches be led by a pastor... Your God kept you while I was your pastor, and he will keep you after I leave. And just as I entrust you to him, you can and you should entrust yourselves to him. You can entrust your children, your church, your brothers and sisters in Christ to God, just as I will do. Paul says he entrusts them to God. This is the first lesson from this verse. But secondly... He upholds God's gracious word. He entrusts them, the believers, to God. And then second lesson from verse 32, he upholds God's gracious word. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The word is clearly what Paul had preached and taught to these believers. He references this word all throughout this passage. He's referring here to the word of God, the revealed word of God, the proclamation, the gospel. The phrase, the word of his grace, is very closely related to another 
phrase in this speech. If you look up at verse 24, did you catch this? Verse 24, Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify, he says, listen, to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. What's the expression in verse 32? To the word of the grace of God. To the word of His grace. The only differences between verses 24 and 32 is that Paul says gospel in that phrase, those two phrases, is that gospel, Paul says gospel instead of word and God instead of His. Paul calls his message the word of His grace. I entrust you, and now I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace. What a, what a beautiful expression for the teaching of God's word. It is the word of God's grace. Not, he, he doesn't mean that, it's the, that the word is the means by which God graciously works in believers, though that is true. no. Paul is calling his preaching the word of his grace, the word of God's grace, because his message is a message about the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That message of grace is most clearly seen in the gospel, but also in other parts of the apostles' teaching. It is the message of about God's grace. It is the message that contains the revelation of God's grace in Jesus Christ. It's a message. It's the word of Jesus Christ. That's what the word of his grace means. The word is a message of God's grace. That's what the apostolic preaching was all about. The grace of God coming to men. In this message we learn That God is a holy God and a righteous judge. We learn of our own great sin and unworthiness before him and our exposure to condemnation. We deserve judgment and condemnation for our sin and the wrath of God. And we need saving. And there is nothing that we can do in ourselves to bring us into a state of salvation before God. And then God comes with this word about his grace and offers us his grace in this message. It is a word because it is a proclamation. It is good news. It is a message of what God has done to save sinners. That is, the word of God's grace is that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for our sins and to be raised on the third day. This is the word of God's grace. And when we were helpless, without any way of possibly saving ourselves, unable to keep God's law and sinners in God's sight, God provided salvation. He offered salvation. He worked salvation and made it available to us. And this is God's grace. And this 
His grace comes to us in a message, in a word. It is a message of grace because it comes to us freely for us to receive by faith. And all who believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died for their sins and rose again, go from a place of death and condemnation to a place of life and grace. We did nothing to save ourselves. God did everything to give us salvation. And that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, his son, is grace. Not only does Jesus Christ save us by his grace, but then he changes us by his grace. And so Jesus Christ is a fountain of grace. He's an an ocean of grace. That's what we learn in this word, in this word of grace, that Jesus Christ is an ocean of of grace, depths of grace, breadths of grace, riches of abundant grace in Jesus Christ. We learn in this word that He graciously forgives. We learn in this word that He graciously sanctifies, that He makes us children of God. That He comforts us and gives us eternal life and that we are heirs of eternal life in Christ's kingdom through grace. It is a message of grace. And in this word of grace, we learn of Jesus, the fountain of grace, the ocean of grace. And this is what Paul commends them to. He entrusts them, you see, to the same message that saved them to begin with. That's what he's doing here. Don't miss this. These are well-founded believers. Most of these men, if not all of them, are ministers. Right? They know this message. This is yet, at the same time, the message that saved them. Think back again to verse 24. With that very close phrase, the gospel of God's grace. Here called the word of His grace. In verse 24, Paul is going around, proclaiming, testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul brought men to saving faith in Jesus Christ by preaching the gospel of his grace, of God's grace to them. They entered into a state of salvation. They entered the faith by the gospel of the grace of God. And now in verse 32, he says that that same message is what will work in them further grace and sanctification. God's people never outgrow the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved them to begin with. They never get past it. We never stop using and building upon the gospel of God's grace. We do advance in our knowledge of God and Christ. We do grow from babes to mature believers. But the word of His grace is ever-present in this growth. You never go past it. You never outgrow it. It's always there. And He entrusts them to the same message that He brought them To begin with, to faith in Christ, these mature believers, these ministers. So think about what Paul is doing here. Look at how important the word is to him for the spiritual well-being of these dear souls. Even as he's saying goodbye to them. He's saying, I'm entrusting you to God and to the word of his grace. 
grace. And thereby, he is saying, I want you, I want you to keep my teaching, the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace, front and center. And Paul's not the only one who says this kind of thing. Think about what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 12-15. I could go to several passages in 2 Peter, but I'll just go to this one. Chapter 1, verses 12-15. through Peter says this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, after I die, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is saying, don't move away from the things I've taught you. And this is even what Jesus said to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, the apostles, as exemplified by Peter and Paul, even as they died or were going away from believers, wanted the believers in their care to remember and recall their teachings. And this is why Peter wrote his teachings down. Today, the apostles' teachings are preserved for us in their writings, which is the New Testament. And so for us, it is important that, as a, that, as a, that a church always keeps the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Bible, front and center. And now I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace. This word is your life. It is your rule. It is the deposit of the faith given by God for your spiritual prosperity. Don't ever turn away from your Bibles, beloved. That is what I wish for you, even as Paul wished it for these Ephesian believers. Keep God's word front and center. Don't turn to your own ideas. I do, entrust, I do not entrust you to your own ideas, to popular culture, to philosophies, or even to church traditions, but to the word of the, the word of God's grace, to the scriptures. Over my ministry here, I have tried to be faithful in preaching and teaching God's word. And if I've ever gone away from it, if I've ever departed, throw that away. Throw it away. Don't listen to it. But I've tried over the course of my nearly eight years here, seven and three-quarter years, however many it is, I, I have tried to emphasize the word of His grace, the word of God's grace. I've preached the gospel to you over and over again. I've pleaded with you, if you've not believed the gospel, again and again to believe it. And for those of you who do believe it, I've presented it before you so that you always would remember who Jesus is and never lose track, never lose sight of the grace that is yours in Him. And as I leave, I hope this emphasis on the Word of God is never lost. I hope your hearts will never grow restless with the Word because this is always a temptation, ever and always. That's why Paul says it 2,000 years ago and why I'm saying it today. 
I hope you will never think you're beyond the plain and simple teaching of God's Word. Even as I ministered the Word to you, now as I depart, I entrust you to it. You'll be tempted to go to other teachings that sound new and fancy and shiny. Build your lives upon this rock. Really, it is not different to entrust someone to God than to entrust him to the word of God's grace. There's really no difference there. Because God saves always by his word. Romans 10.17, faith comes through hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. The word of the gospel saves. That's how God saves And even as Paul urged the Corinthians to hold fast to the word he preached to them in 1 Corinthians 15, so too in Acts 20 he urges the Ephesians to remain tethered to Scripture. For to be entrusted to the New Testament preaching is to be entrusted to God. And so I entrust you to God. As I entrust you to God, I very quickly say to you, I entrust you to his word. You cannot have God without the word of his grace. There is no other God than the God of the Bible. Paul entrusts them to God. He upholds the word of God's grace, God's gracious word. And finally, final lesson from this passage, he rests in what God's grace will do. He rests in what God's grace will do. So Paul not only tells them that he entrusts them to God and to the word of his grace, but he tells them why this is important. That's what he's doing in the last part of the verse. And there are three reasons here why they should continue to adhere to God's word. Three reasons. You might say two, but I'm going to make it into three. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Now that word which, you see that word which, W-H-I-C-H, which, the word of, I commend you to God, I entrust you to God, and to the word of his grace, which, that word which refers back to the word. He gives then three things that God does through the word of his grace. This is why it's important to adhere to God and the word of his grace. And the way that we adhere to God is by adhering to his word. So why is this important? Number one, God's grace builds us up through the word. God's grace builds us up through the word. The picture of being built up, that picture is of a building that is incomplete and needs additional work before it's finished. He's saying this to ministers, by the way. Ministers need to be built up. You do too. Everybody needs to be built up. Every Christian, until he sees Christ, needs to be built up. And I would even submit that after we see Christ and are glorified, we continue to grow, to be more like God into eternity. But that's another topic for another occasion. This is such an apt description of believers. We are in Christ. We are complete in him, fully accepted by God, And yet, there is work to do in each one of us through Christ and His grace. And anyone who would deny this is a fool. Every believer needs to grow spiritually. 
This is true of every single one of you. Every one of us is burdened by our own sinfulness. Calvin put it this way, quote, Indeed, all the godly must be founded on Christ, but their faith is a very long way from being perfect and complete. On the contrary, this is Calvin still, although the foundation remains firm, certain parts of the building sometimes totter and fall. Accordingly, there is a need both of constant building and from time to time of fresh supports. A very nice way of illustrating what's going on here. Paul tells the saints that the word is the way they will be built up as they wait for Christ's appearing. It's the word, by the way. The word is the way that you're built up. The word. Don't miss that. It's the word of grace that is able to build them up by God. And it's so apt that it's called the word of grace that's doing this because it's God graciously working in us through his word. Even though I think the word of his grace is not talking about the gracious way God does that, I think it's proclaiming the grace that's offered to us in Christ. Paul makes the same point that he's making here in Colossians 2.7. Believers, he says there, are rooted, listen, rooted and built up in him, Christ, And listen, so they're rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding therein in thanksgiving. So again, how are we built up? We're built up as through the teaching, in the faith, the knowledge of God revealed through the word of God. You are built up through the word of God. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How are we sanctified? How are we built up? How are we progressively made more holy? Through the word. The word of truth is what Christ uses in us to sanctify us. There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. No bypasses. No scenic byways. It's the word of God and what Christ has given to us. God wants us to use the word of his grace to build us up, to fortify us. He wants to do this in you. He wants to use his word in you to build you up, to fortify you, to make your walls stronger, to make your spiritual house firmer, to repair the holes in the walls, to strengthen what's already strong and buttress what is weak and tottering. And he wants to do this again through his word in some The word of God's grace in Christ grows believers spiritually. This is why Paul commends them or entrusts them to God in the word of his grace. Because that's what's able to build them up. Second thing that God does. Second reason why he entrusts them to God in the word of his grace. Because God's grace through the word grants a kingdom inheritance. God's grace grants a kingdom inheritance through the word. Listen, it's the word that brings us through this wilderness of a world into the glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed In vain. We hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe it. 
And as Paul says in that passage, by believing it, we're saved. And here in verse 32, the way Paul says that is he, through the word, we're given an inheritance. But we also continue. God keeps us believing in Christ. We continue in the faith through the word of God. And meanwhile, as we travel along as believers in Jesus Christ in this wilderness, the word of God works in us spiritual growth. That's what he just talked about. But it's also true for us as we are getting ready to enter the kingdom. And yet we are given the kingdom through the word of God's grace as we believe in Jesus Christ. It's ours. It's our inheritance. So in one sense... I think Paul is talking about progressive sanctification in the first clause by which you are being built up. And he's talking about our initial salvation, which ends in final salvation in the second clause. It is when we believe the word of God's grace in Jesus Christ that we become kingdom heirs. How do we inherit the kingdom? By the word, by believing the word of the gospel. And it is by believing the word of God that we begin the Christian life and obtain that right to be raised with Christ and dwell with him forever. And so the first clause assumes that God grows believers spiritually through the word of his grace. The word builds them up. The second clause assumes that God brings salvation, brings sinners into a place of the grace of eternal life through the word. The word brought them in. First clause, the word builds them up. Second clause, the word brought them in. The first point, the first clause, is about God's ongoing spiritual growth of believers. The second clause is about our entrance into Christ and his eternal life. And the last point just underscores this. God's grace sanctifies them through the word. God's grace sanctifies them through the word. I'm almost finished. The assumption here is that the Ephesians are among the sanctified. How did they get to be among the sanctified? How is that already a fact? Because they believe the word of his grace. Here, sanctified probably means positional or definitive sanctification. In other words, Paul's not talking about them growing in holiness, progressive sanctification. He is saying that as they... These Ephesians had believed the word of God's grace. Jesus Christ made them positionally or completely holy by his blood. Later in Acts 26, in this book, in Acts chapter 26, Paul says that God called him to preach the gospel so that sinners would be given a place in eternal life and in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Acts 26.18 says that Paul was preached called to preach Jesus Christ, quote, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, Jesus says to Paul. You see, that's what Paul's saying about these Ephesians. They already are sanctified. They were sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the word did to them. The word is how God's grace sanctifies us because we believe the word and we are positionally made holy before God. 
We can find similar themes in Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. The point is that God's word is the means God uses to set believers apart for himself. And it is through the word that God gave them an inheritance among all the saints who have believed in Christ. They can be called a saint themselves now because they've believed the word. And that's why Paul says, don't ever move away from it. Together, the word of God's grace does everything. It's, it builds them up. It gives them eternal life in the kingdom. It sanctifies them. It gives them a place among the sanctified. You see, Paul rests confident here. If you're not picking this up, let me say it very carefully or try to. Paul rests confidently in the full spiritual power of God's word. And as he left the Ephesians, he wanted them to do the same. He wanted them to see how important the word of God is for them. Not just in bringing them into a place of salvation where they possess eternal life. But it is the way they grow spiritually in Christ. Everything is through the word. And so he entrusts them to God and to the word of his grace. Now I said at the very beginning that I prefer the word entrust overcommend to translate the verb in this verse but i will say this even as paul tells the ephesians that he entrusts them to god and the word of his grace as he says to them this kind of prayer i entrust you to god and to the word of his grace that can do these things in you he is commending god and the word of his grace to them at the same time. He's saying, I'm entrusting, I am entrusting you to God and to his word with the effect, as he says this, that it urges them, right, to think for themselves, then I need to hold fast to God and to the word of his grace. It is something of a commendation. And so even for us, for me and for you, I am entrusting you to God and to the word of his grace, all the while really commending God and the word of his grace to you, hoping that you will entrust yourselves to God and to the word of his grace. And here we are going to gather at the table in our last few moments together in this service this morning. And the table in this way is like the word of God's grace. The word of God's grace, as you remember, proclaims the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the word does. It proclaims Jesus to us and the grace of God available through him. So does the table. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And here the grace of God is on display to you, just as it was on display a few moments ago as I preached this sermon. The word of God's grace, God's grace is here on display to you. It's proclaimed to you as you eat the bread and you drink the cup. And as we partake together, we are reminded that Christ died for our sins And through his broken body and shed blood, we have been forgiven, sanctified, and given 
an inheritance among the sanctified. That's what, we're, that's what this proclaims to us. That very same thing. It builds us up. It re- teaches us that we're sanctified by the grace of Christ, that we are forgiven of our sins, and that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. The word of God's grace. The table that proclaims God's grace. That's what we'll partake in now as we, as we go to the Lord's table this morning. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would make us a people who entrust ourselves ever and always to you and to the word of your grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that he has accomplished for us in his finished work and resurrection. And that this word would build us up and give us an inheritance among the sanctified. And let us ever cling to your word. Let us ever hold it. Let us never depart from it. And I pray that your word would be what shapes us and forms us to be like Christ that your word would be emphasized in this church ever into the future, just as it has been for these 14 decades of its existence. And I ask, O God, that you would continue in this way your work in your people, for your word is what builds us up. Your word is what we hold fast to all of our lives long in Christ. Let us ever and always return to the word. Give us an ever-increasing appetite for it. And I pray, Lord, that in this way, you, in your divine power, would be at work in the souls of each believer here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that if there are any who do not know Christ Jesus, that they would come to this message of grace and believe it, receive it, and trust their souls to Christ themselves. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.